Well, good morning to you. I want to greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. It doesn't seem possible that it's been 50 years since that day, and uh, certainly wouldn't have had any clue as to where all the paths would lead us from that day. God has been good, <clears throat> and uh, I'm sure that many of you will say the same thing in your life, in your calling from God. <clears throat> but I've been discouraged at times. I think that's probably typical. Uh, I find that when I get discouraged that one of the first things that happens, I begin to doubt the promises of God and uh, lose sight of the power of God and begin maybe questioning the plan of God. I don't know how you feel about it, but I believe that discouragement is probably one of Satan's most successful tools just to get us down in the dumps, discouraged. <clears throat> and some people just need a little uh, encouragement at a time like that to uh, help them over the hurdle. Maybe they're f facing a tough time. I've prayed many times that God would give me the wisdom and the discernment to be able to sense people that are going through a difficult time to be there to help them through that time. I'm not sure that I'm very good at that. I've missed some of my know. We had a friend of ours that stayed with us for a number of days here recently, known him for many years, and uh, <clears throat> he was telling me the story about his father-in-law. His father-in-law, uh, in his mind, was a great man, but a man who got very, very discouraged. He had a wife that had mental problems, and as a result of that, uh, people criticized him for the way he handled things, um, didn't understand, and, uh, and all of that. And he got so discouraged one day that he was out in the field, and he tied his horses to the fence post, and decided he's going to just, just leave where nobody would know where he's at. Had his foot in the fence and his hand on the fence post just ready to crawl over because the bus went by the road there and he was going to catch the bus and just leave. And uh, maybe some of you knew David Bontrager. He was the man, I think, that started uh, behind the Iron Curtain at work over in Romania or Russia, wherever it was. And uh, <clears throat> David Bontrager, his pastor, for some reason, he said, he was going to a job. For some reason, he just felt to turn in that road, and he saw John there, I think that was his name, about to crawl over the fence, and he started talking to him and found out that John was a very, very discouraged man. As a result of that interaction with Brother David, he decided to stay. So close, he would have brought something on his life, a blot on his life, 
that problem would never have been would be erased. Just sometimes to be there beside somebody to encourage them is a tremendous blessing. And when you don't have that, you know as well as I do that there's people now that you probably are praying for that have thrown in, we call it, say, thrown in the towels that it's just too tough, it's too hard, I'm giving up. I uh, never forget, back in 1969, the first revival meeting I was responsible for, and on a Saturday night I gave an invitation to young people that wanted to come forward, and by that saying that we're determining tonight that by the grace of God that we're going on with the Lord. We're going to be faithful to God. We're going on with the Lord. And three young people responded that night, came forward. One of those was a young boy that I talked with during that week that uh, was obviously, as he shared with me, he's having some struggles. So I decided I would try to encourage those young people. And I said, uh, how many of you out there in the audience will stand to your feet and by that saying, I'm going to pray for these young people. I'm going to support them and encourage them. Only one mother stood. I was going to have them turn around and see all the support they had, but I didn't have them turn around. It wasn't long afterward that I heard that this boy left the church. One of the girls, I understand, married a non-Christian. I'm not sure what happened to the third one. But I asked the question, I know that everybody makes their own choices, but could it have been different? Had there been some people there that, that would have shown that they are behind them, they encourage them, they're going to be praying for them. <clears throat> I remember walking down that aisle, January 14, 1962. I'd been sitting up in the bench, probably about where uh, Joe and, and uh, are there somewhere along in there. See, the church was shorter back then. And I began to realize that what was going to happen to me was not just for six months. It was a lifetime thing. I got that feeling, uh, just run out, I mean, leave. Of course, I was too proud to do that. Well, I'm not sure if that's the right word. But, but when I left that night, I felt like the world was on my shoulder. I never felt anything like that before. But one dear brother met me there, and he said, Eli, I'm behind you. What a blessing. What an encouragement. Now, down the road, uh, when things got tough, I sometimes wondered where he was. Maybe he was behind me, but so far behind me that I couldn't feel him. But being, you know, the, the Bible talks about life as being like a race. Not a race of speed, but a race of endurance. Just keep on running the race. That's the challenge of the scriptures. I invite you to turn with me to a very familiar and one of my favorite passages found in Hebrews chapter 12. 
verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that was set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. The writer of Hebrews is saying that, that we can make it. He says that we have a whole catalog of people who made it, who witnesses. I think he's describing the Christian life kind of like uh, an arena. And here are all these people on the grandstands watching the, the people down here running the race. And these people are cheering them on. And I think what the writer is saying here is we have all these people in chapter 11, yet they may not be shouting words of encouragement to us, but their lives stand as a, as a testimony that you can make it. We can make it by faith. Not only that, he says that we have Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he kept on going in spite of all the, the ridicule and persecution that he received and being nailed to the cross. He endured the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of God. I love that. You know, the old tabernacle, there was no chairs in the tabernacle. Never could the priest sit down. Always had to keep on. But Jesus accomplished the work on Calvary, and now he's sitting down. It's finished. And because of that, we not only have all those heroes of faith that stand as a testimony that we can make it by faith, but we also have Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He was there at the beginning of our race, and he'll be there at the end of our race. The Bible says in Hebrews, he's the forerunner. He ran the path before us. He knows what life is all about, what we experience. And we need to look to him. Keep running the race. <clears throat> it's well for us to stop sometimes and just to consider these people. Were they some kind of super uh, saints? I don't think so. They were just men and women who believed God and believed if God said it, that that's the way it was. They believed that God was a God that cannot lie. And so if God said it, that's the way it must be. They were people whose faith controlled their life, directed their life. The Amplified Version says in verse 13 of chapter 11 that these all died controlled and sustained by their faith. They believed it's impossible for God to lie. So we just hang on, even though sometimes we don't understand, we just hang, simply hang on by faith. 
Yeah, these people were people that faced things just like we face things. Some of the same struggles that we face. Abel was one of them that is spoken of, first of all, in chapter 11. Abel was tempted, I suppose, to compromise. I don't know what all God had said about sacrifice up to that point. We don't read anything. But obviously, God must have given some direction as to how they were to sacrifice. And I can almost imagine that Cain might have come up to Abel and said, Abel, you know, you go to all this trouble and you sacrifice this blood and, and, and all that. You're just nothing but an old legalist. You know, but Abel would say, well, this is what God said. And that's what we're going to do. Let me tell you some folks that if you do something because you love God, and you obey because you love him, that's not legalism. That's freedom. That's freedom. Then there was a man, Noah. I always marvel at that man. It says that, that uh, Noah was warned of God of things not seen yet. God told him that something was going to happen that he'd never seen before. Uh, I think probably Noah had never seen rain before. Uh, certainly not a flood before. And God told this man to build an ark out on dry ground. Now that takes a lot of faith. To do something you'd never seen, but God said, see. And that settled it for Noah. God said. I can imagine his boys might have said, you know, Dad, you know, if we just cut this thing off 10 feet or so, uh, it would just take so much less time, less material. But I can almost imagine Noah said, but boys, this is what God said. Yeah, Noah was a legalist. <laughs> You know, that's what a legalist is. He, he just does it exactly the way it's supposed to be done. And some people say, you know, in our day, you know, it's not that important. But God said that took a lot of faith for Noah. Abraham was another man, tremendous faith. Oh, he failed at some time, just like the rest of us. But I think the thing that impresses me most about Abraham's life was the fact that God had promised a son. And there was no son. For years there was no son. At one point Abraham suggested to God another method and God said, no, it's going to be your son. And finally the son came. A very special boy. And I get the impression there was a very close relationship between father and son. Can you imagine the faith it took when, to believe God and respond properly to God when God said, now take that son, that special son, and sacrifice him. 
I tell you, folks, if you want to touch the heart of a father, touch his son. That is a good father. Touch his son. Understand it was a man who had a wayward son. <clears throat> and another father came to him and said this. <clears throat> said, if that was my boy, I'd kick him out. The father said, yes, if it was your boy, I'd kick him out too. But he's my son. That makes all the difference. Can you imagine the faith that Abraham, God said that through this son, all nations of the earth would be blessed through the descendants of this son. And now to take him and sacrifice him, how can that be? But this is what God said. And according to Romans, he believed, Abraham believed that God was somehow would be able to raise him up from the dead, obviously, because God said, and God cannot lie. That takes a lot of faith. <clears throat> well, how do we make it when life is difficult and the temptations are strong and sometimes we are mistreated or or uh, somebody talks about us behind our back, it's not true, and all those kind of things that discourage people. How do we make it? Well, this passage says, laying aside every weight that hinders us from running. Things that we allow in our life that keeps us from running the race. Maybe little things, some things that take our appetite from spiritual things, some things that take our time and really doesn't have any lasting value. Weights. <clears throat> I've said already that I think probably that would be good for us sometimes just to get serious about life and have a book burning like the Ephesians did. You know, things that we recognize, if we're honest with ourselves, and we recognize that here is something that is, that is dragging me down, a weight that is hindering me from running the race. It's taking my appetite away from Bible reading. It's taking my appetite away from having time with God and coming to church and all those kinds of things. And we bring it all together and we just have a bonfire. Get rid of it. Weights. May not be that wrong in themselves, but it's just that it takes away our desire for spiritual things, things that are important. Years ago, our youngest son uh, liked to play basketball with his brothers and friends. And uh, he was milking cows at Arimont at the time, and he decided that he would wear weights while he milked those three hours on his legs just to strengthen his uh, leg muscles. Well, uh, my wife and I had just been in Ontario for a week of meetings, and we were on our way home uh, on a Monday morning, and he told us after we got home that that Monday morning he, um, or uh, maybe Saturday night, I'm not sure exactly now, 
Anyway, the young people had a hayride. And uh, after the ride, they took the wagon out in the bull pasture and swept it off, swept the hay off or the straw or whatever. One of the girls lost her wristwatch, and they thought maybe it might be in that when they swept off the wagon. So he decided Monday night after milking that he would go out there in the bull pasture, see if he could find this watch for this girl. And he said when he crawled under the fence, he thought about, oh, I got these weights on. But he went anyway, and he soon found out he was in trouble. A big bull knocked him down. He said a lot of things went through his mind. One is that Papa and Mama will be coming home tonight, and uh, they won't find me there. And they'll call the farm, and the farm says, well, he left. And they'll finally find my battered body out in the bull pasture. Well, fortunately, no, that's not the right word. I'm going to say fortunately, it was uh, through the uh, appointment of God that a smaller bull distracted the big one and he managed to crawl under the fence, but almost he lost his life because of weights. That had been tragic for the family, but even more tragic than that, folks, even more tragic than that, is when we allow some old weight to drag us down and we lose out spiritually. We get discouraged and lose out spiritually. He says, get rid of the weights. Lay aside the weights. And the sin, I think it's the sin of unbelief, is referring to the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience, persistence, keeping on the race. Persistence. Run with patience. Uh, you know, I think there's such a thing as uh, sanctified stubbornness. Not the unsanctified kind, but, uh, you know, the kind where the Bible talks about steadfast, unmovable, we're just not going to budge, we're going to keep right on. With patience, that's what the Bible implies here. Run with patience. Yeah, life does have its difficulties. Life is tough sometimes. God never promised an easy road. But he did promise that he will be there for us. He did promise that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And we can trust him. You know, we go back to Hebrews 11 and we look at all those heroes of faith and we say wonderful things happened to people that had faith. They had power, they had the ability to believe God and keep on going and God did wonderful things for them. They experienced wonderful things. But did you stop and think about the last part of Hebrews 11? Let me just read it to you. Verse 35 says, Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scorchings, yea, more of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, 
They were sawed asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. You mean men and women of faith? We had to live in caves, had to dress in sheep's clothing and, and, uh, or skins and goatskins? I don't know how the health and wealth people who claim that if you love God and believe God, that God's going to just bless you, you know, with health and wealth, that all you have to do is claim it. I don't know how they look at this, but these were people of faith. Now, I'll tell you something. When you don't know what God is doing in your life, and you're going through a difficult time, and you don't understand, and God maybe seems far away, I tell you, folks, that's when it tests, really tests, whether you have faith or not. When you have to step out in the fog and you don't know where this is going to take you. Yes, these people, they believe God and they just kept hanging on to their belief in God regardless of all the difficulties that they faced. Apostle Paul was an example of a person that was determined by the grace of God that he's going to keep on going. Yes, he experienced a lot of difficulties. He, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the things that he experienced. Uh, persecutions and shipwrecks and all those hungers and all those kinds of things. Paul said he's going to keep on going. I may have told you this before, I don't know. But some years ago, and I wished, I always wished I would have kept uh, the copy of this, uh, somebody wrote that in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 4, where Paul relates some of the things that happened to him, he said, this person said, and I'm, not, I'm no Greek scholar, I don't know if I... Uh, I mean, I can't uh, say he's wrong. This person said that when Paul said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed, we are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Uh, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. This author said that, that the Greek terms has, has a suggestion of, a, of a relating to athletics. He said, and I don't know if he's correct or not, but he said this. He said where it says troubled on every side yet not distressed, he says has the idea of being pressed down but not pinned down. Paul said, I may be pressed down, but I'm not pinned down. I uh, guess that's wrestling. Uh, you have to, if you want to be the victor, you have to pin him down, I think. Hold him down for a certain period of time. When we were boys, when we wrestled, we just said, uh, you had to say uncle, and then uncle meant, I'm, you know, all it meant is I give up. 
Paul said, I may be pressed down, but I'm not pinned down. I'm going on. This author said that where he says perplexed but not in despair, he says it's the idea that it doesn't appear to be any way, but I'm making a way. I think that maybe that kind of fits into the category of football. I don't understand football very well, except there's two teams and one ball. They want the same, they want the same ball. And they about kill each other to get the ball. Uh, said, you know, balls aren't that expensive. Why not give each team a ball so they don't have to fight over it? But I guess that wouldn't be football. Here's these big guys out there, and it doesn't look like there's any way, but he says, we're making a way. There's got to be a way because God said there would be a way. Any temptation that comes our way, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God makes a way. Paul said, I'm going on. This author said where it says pressed down, persecuted but not forsaken, is the idea he may be behind in the race, but I'm not quitting the race. I may be behind, but not quitting. Back in 80, 81, somewhere along in there, when I was at school that one year, we had a race for the boys. I think they were running around this church building, I think four times, the little fellas, and um, Soon obvious that one boy, one of the bigger little boys, wasn't going to make it. He was not going to be beat. And so he said, oh, I got a side ache, and he quit. One little chubby fella got further and further behind, and he was about one lap behind until it was all finished, but he, didn't, he ran that lap all by himself. As far as I was concerned, he deserved a, a reward. He didn't quit the race. I talked to him about it some years later, and he said, yeah, he remembers, but he said, you know, I wish I'd have done that well in my spiritual life. I'm not quitting, Paul says. I'm going on. Cast down but not destroyed, this author said, I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I'm going on. That takes a lot of faith. It says, looking unto Jesus. Lest you get weary, faint in your mind. Looking has the idea of focusing on one thing. Not getting distracted by the things of this life. Looking, focusing on one thing. You know, you farmers, probably not many of them here anymore, but you farmers know that if you want to Make a straight row, you've got to focus on something at the other end. Keep you straight. I used to think that that's the way to plant corn. Somebody here in Virginia told me uh, you can get more corn in a crooked row than you can in a straight row. Maybe that's true, but I always thought a farmer should make straight rows. Looking unto Jesus. Focusing on him. The author and finisher of our faith. He finished the race. And I said, as I said before, he was the forerunner. He ran the race before us. And I get the impression that maybe it also suggests that you remember in the Old Testament they had these 
cities of refuge where uh, if uh, you accidentally killed somebody, you could go there and be safe. Uh, the forerunner, I understand, would, would be one that would run ahead of his friend. He would go to the city of refuge. Perhaps the avenger was coming behind, and, and he would say, open the door, let him in. The forerunner. He finished the race through all the rejections and all the sufferings. Why? Because he was preparing for his bride. All the suffering, all the tears, all the hunger he endured was because of his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he wept. I, I, I like to think of that scene. He came down on Mount Olives and he saw Jerusalem, that special place that God had chosen for his people, where the temple of God was, where he said he would meet with his people. And Jesus wept. Because they're rejecting his offer. I think the greatest wound that any person can receive is the rejection of love. Have you ever seen the little child who maybe pulled a flower where he shouldn't have? But he brought it to his mama because he wanted to give her something special. And her mama rebuked him and rejected it. Have you ever seen the hurt? Rejection. Yes, he was rejected, but he didn't quit the race. Why? Because he was doing it for the bride. He was preparing a place for her. He was wanted to show to us that we too can make it by looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, our faith is not based on some wishful thinking. It's not based on whether we can somehow master our minds and get a hold of something and just cling on to it. No, our faith is based on the eternal word of God. That word, it's unchangeable. unmovable, withstanding on the promises of God that causes us to trust in God. Folks, I asked you the question this morning, can God be trusted? When I'm facing some, something tough, can I trust God that he'll be there? Can I trust him that he'll be there to carry me through? Our children used to like to ask their mother to tell them the story. She'd tell them over and over again. A story about when she was probably about six or seven years old and had crawled up the ladder into the hayloft to play with the kittens. And while she was up there playing with the kittens, the bull got out of the, her, his pen, 
was down there bellering and pushing around on the buggy, and here she was up in the hayloft. She knew she couldn't go back down because the bull was there. There was another hole further over somewhere where they threw the hay down, and, but she couldn't jump down there. It was too far. It had no ladder. And she knew she couldn't stay there forever, and so there she was. What was she going to do? So she did the logical thing. She called for her father. Just like we ought to when we get in those kind of situations where things look impossible. There's no way out. Can't stay here. So she called for her father, and he told her to come over to this hay hole. And he said, jump, and I'll catch you. Now, it's still a long ways off. Could she trust her father? That was the question. Or would she choose to stay in the hayloft the rest of her life? She trusted her father and jumped. That's the kind of trust sometimes that God wants us to express to him when things look impossible. Looks dark, we don't know, there's no way. But God said there would be a way, he said he'd be there for us. And with us, can we trust him? It takes faith. So my challenge to all of us this morning is those tough times in life, and we don't know the answer, we don't know what God is doing, we don't know how it's going to end up. Well, we simply just hang on by faith. Maybe we won't even get all the answers here in this life, but I think some sweet day, some sweet day, we'll understand. You see, that's one thing, I, reason I appreciate the Old Testament, is the fact we have history after history of people who walked by faith and how it turned out. They didn't know. I think about Joseph for the time that, you know, because of living, making a choice that was right and good, he was put in jail. Now I can imagine that could have been very, very discouraging. But we who now can read the whole story, we could, if we would have had the opportunity with the knowledge we have now to go to that prison and say, Joseph, just hang in there. Just hang in there. This is just phase three in God's plan. But Joseph couldn't see it at that time. Neither could Job, all the things that happened to him. I believe if Job somehow could have understood that thousands and thousands of people through the years would be blessed by his experience, recorded experience, Job would have said, yes, Lord, I'll gladly do that. No, we might not get all the answers in this life. But just hang in here. Don't quit. Go by faith. I told someone one time, I'd rather wear out than rust out. He said, well, either way, you're out. He said, what you really want to do is hold out. <laughs> He's right, exactly right. Hold out. Want to keep on the race by faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author 
and finisher of our faith. May God bless you.